to participate in covert operations, to help run drugs to fund these operations, and to assassinate security risks. Mere bravado, or was McVeigh telling the truth? The FBI had put wiretaps on the McVeigh family's phone after the bombing. So I'm reading this conversation back and forth between his mother and his sister. There's actually a few of these conversations where they say, we don't understand why the FBI won't listen to us and why the media is reporting that Timothy McVeigh washed out or dropped out of special forces. They're saying, no, we, we were told that he was still active in the military and that he was working on these covert missions. Hey, it's Jose Galison. You're watching No Way Jose. You can find me on the No Way Jose YouTube channel, all the major auto packagers, and Odyssey as well. That was an edit from my homie Tim Tuttle on Twitter, so definitely go check him out. Follow him if you want to see more of those. He likes to dig into the OKC stuff like I do as well. Drops a lot of cool edits. He's like a, I don't know, I guess like a mix between me and Jinx, I guess you could say. Uh, yeah, I mean, maybe that could be somebody else's. He, he's also known to take other ones and share it. It's not that he's taking credit or anything. Uh, but you know, especially with somebody like Jinx, you know, he's getting his count nuked all the time. It's good to preserve that shit. And, uh, he is a historian in that right for sure. But I do let you guys know the guest today is Mike Jackman of the Jackman brothers. You guys may remember him, them. You, you might see them, uh, kind of switching out, you know, for P breaks on, uh, the four horsemen since you can't tell them apart anyways. Uh, and I mean, we'll be just kind of shooting the bull, no specific topic, probably talking about, uh, you know, conspiracy stuff. So that'll be fun. Do let you guys know uh, how this whole works, the shindig. Uh, if you are watching on the 16th, then you are clearly a patron because uh, this is a live stream for patrons only. But this will get released roughly about a week or so later to the uh, general public, to the th- to the uh, to the peasants, if you will. Uh, those who don't want to pay up, uh, if not the school, I'm just messing with you. I don't care. Uh, although, obviously, I like money. But if you want to be able to support me that way, if you want to get live streams early, content early, I pretty much do that for most of my content, except for maybe rare occasions with, you know, especially if it's like some current events or something. But I don't think I've ever even done that, but I always mention it just in case I do. I don't know. But for the only ones that really I don't do it with is the Four Pony Boys series, which I just did one with Daniel McAdams. So if you want to go check that out, that already been out for a while by the time this comes out. But uh, yeah, if you want to be able to support me, patreon.com, just no way Jose 2020 does the lowest levels two bucks. And that gives you the access to the early stuff. Uh, and then there's a five, 10 and 20 with differing uh, benefits to each. Uh, the 20 being my sponsors, my sponsors, Mikel Thorpe of the expat money show. I saw Jeremy has an Etsy store at Etsy.com slash shop slash raising Liberty. Uh, you can follow him on Twitter at Jeremy rhymes. And I have my co-host toad from tower gang. 
Uh, you go follow him at Tower Gang Toad on Twitter, and you know definitely go subscribe to Tower Gang on YouTube, Rumble. You can check it out on Spotify. A lot of people like to do that. We see weirdly we get the most numbers in Spotify because we have video there as well. But yeah, uh, definitely go check it out. We just had Dave Smith on. It was a really fun episode. Uh, if you, but I will warn you uh, that is not this content like I do here. It's offensive comedy. Uh, so if you're offended, I don't care. Uh, I warned you. Uh, yeah, uh, to do, also make sure to go check out toplobster.com. You saw they check it for 10% off. If you saw me at Timcast, you saw I had that dope ass Terrence Hickey, uh, didn't kill himself shirt. Uh, I got to tell the world about it. It was, it was, it was definitely a special moment for me and I appreciate you guys for it. But if you guys want that shirt, if you want to be able to spread that message as well, uh, go to toplobster.com and you can go get it. I believe it's on the homepage and it's also in my, uh, in the no way Jose page as well. So how is just getting that, uh, that way people are like, who the hell is this guy? And you can explain it to him. Uh, with that, let's go ahead and get Mike in here. What's up, dude? Hey, how you doing, Jose? Doing all right. Glad to have you on. I just figured we shoot the bull. It's kind of a last minute thing. I need an episode. I was like, you know, I kind of got overwhelmed with all the stuff from, uh, it's almost like I had abundance of options and you're like, you know what? I just want to have a chill talk with, with, a with a friendly acquaintance, uh, somewhere between a friend and friendly acquaintance, you know? Yeah, so absolutely. I figured it'd be, we'd have a good conversation. We seem to have similar interests. Should be a fun time. I'm looking forward to it. Uh, first off, uh, you want to tell everyone who you are and then you can tell, uh, you can tell me uh, if you appreciate the the uh, shout out you got on Tim Cass. <laughs> <laughs> oh, thank you so much. Uh, yeah, I'm Mike Jackman, uh, uh, Eric Jackman's twin brother. Like you said, uh, been uh, made several appearances on the Four Horsemen. Uh, I was in the, in the inaugural episode, actually. So that's that's uh, you can, you know. It's like Mary Kate and Ashley. You're like you never know which is which. It could be either. <laughs> you can just swap us out. Yeah, I like Mary Kate and Ashley, but I think Eric and I are a little bit more cuter. But that's yeah. <laughs> that's neither here nor there. Um, yeah. So I, I host Jackman Radio with my brother Eric, and we've been doing that since 2015, roughly. And um, yeah, you know, we I, I cover like you said in your intro a lot of politics. Uh, you know what people call conspiracies. Um, JFK assassination has been in my wheelhouse for probably close to 20 years. Been fascinated by that, you know, since I was a teenager, really. Um, love to talk about foreign policy, um, anti-war stuff, um, current events. You know, we cover all that. Pop culture, because you got you to have fun, man. You got to have some Soma. You got to mm. mix some Soma in there, man, with the, yeah, the, with the red form. pills and the black <laughs> pills. Yeah, you can't be, you can't be a, you know, doom, what is it, a doom scroller or a, uh, what's the meme, uh, a doom a doomer doomer doomer, whatever yeah or a doomer doomer. you know you got zoomers boomers and doomers right so but uh yeah definitely when you know the four horsemen's revved up or we're doing an episode and we're excited and the beers are flowing there there might be a pee break or two and it's good to have a uh, clone and a body double when you're doing that for sure (laughs) so the flow can just yeah just keep going not everyone's comfortable doing the uh doing the cup trick like i do so (laughs) (laughs) or the bladder bag but uh if anyone's followed the old lore, I've admitted multiple times that I totally keep a piss cup nearby. Oh, <laughs> there wow, have been that's... multiple episodes I pissed, just so you guys know. I, I, that's how much I'm committed to it. I'm not going to miss that's a commitment. beat. I have a weak bladder. You also can't see it, so it's kind of like, who cares? I'm just going to pee in this cup and just kind of, oh, wow, that's nice. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, as long as you don't end up like that guy from CNN there during that, that meeting, you know, where he was, uh, <laughs> you know, he was doing something extra on the side. And, you know, he maybe hit a 900 number or webcam that he was doing and he got Jeffrey Tubin, I think it was. Yeah. But, uh, um, yeah, no, dude, I, your episode on Timcast was awesome, man. You and Reed, I thought, killed it. Um, yeah. Your Terrence Yeeky bit, man, was that's all you can hope for when you, you get a big platform like that. You want to put forward an issue that you really care about and that really moves you. And 
Um, I've always said your Oklahoma City series, man, is, you know, the best that's come down the pike in a long time. And it's almost like a companion piece to Noble Lie. And mm. uh, no, I re- really appreciate you guys shouting us out, man. That was huge. Yeah, it was completely was organic. Huge. There was no like we me and Reed came in with some things we did want to hit. But it's also like, you know, the nature of what Tim Pool's show is. You like you just kind of like do what you can. But like so far as plugs, like at least in the the show, like the names, the people we shouted out and stuff, really that was just kind of off the dome stuff that like was not at all intentional. So I mean, I guess you you could compliment us, but it really was like we kind of don't deserve it. It was just natural what we thought of at the moment. Uh, it wasn't a, but yeah, I mean, shit, I forgot like I think half my plugs at the end. I meant to admit. I was supposed to shout out we were having Dave Smith on Tower Gang. I was supposed to shout out to I, I feel the one I actually really feel bad about is I didn't shout out Top Lobster because he does a lot of work for me and I really appreciate the guy and he made that shirt and I also do want that shirt to sell, which actually it's funny. I got someone gave me crap about like, oh, you're trying to profit off this poor guy. And I was like, well, one, it's like raising worse too. It's like, I mean, I didn't really comment to the guy, but it's like you don't even know the financial situation. Like I I'm pretty sure technically the the setup I have with Top, and this is how it usually works for a lot of merch people, you usually get a percentage. But I've literally never asked Top for any of it because I just like I don't care. And it's also like because I don't know. He does so much for me anyways. Whatever. You can have the 10% or whatever you told me I get. I don't right. care. <laughs> well, I mean, you're drawing attention to someone who was suicided. That's the bottom yeah. line. And, you know, there's so many there's so many figures in modern political um, theater and events and you know, uh, that happened that just get lost to history and you never hear about them again. And, but certainly their families, their children, they live on and they, they carry that every day. So I think that was a beautiful tribute and man, the Oklahoma city stuff, like the, the intro there you showed, man, you ever see Arlington road? Uh, I have not. No. Oh, that's a movie you got to see. Okay. Yeah. It's a movie with uh, Tim Robbins and Jeff Bridges. And it's, it's Chris, a really creepy movie. It came out in like, probably like 97, 98. And it's about a domestic terror plot. And, um, a guy moves in next door to a family and, uh, you know, the family is, uh, becomes friends with them. And then, then the husband starts to suspect that he might be part of some kind of like Timothy McVeigh esque, um, you know, group. And, uh, no, I don't want to give you the whole thing away, but I think you, you, given your interest in Oklahoma city, I think you would really enjoy that movie. Yeah, I'll definitely have to check it out. Uh, have you watched watching. the whole series? You can you can tell me if you haven't. I'm just curious. I honestly, ha- you've done seven parts? Seven or seven, I think. I want to say seven in a bonus episode. I think I watched the whole Yiki or most of it, and I watched a couple others. I haven't watched the whole okay. thing, man. It's, it's I, No, I, you're good. I get I it. Also, Not every, you got you got shit to do, so I don't expect anyone Yeah, to, well, what I do yeah. is I have intentions. I'm like, okay, I, gotta, I did watch most of the uh, uh, you guys with McAdams. That was great. Yeah, I, he uh, that the shirt he was t-shirt he was wearing it de-aged him by at least fifteen or twenty years. <laughs> yeah, I'm no, with the cool kids now. Yeah, no, it was cool having him for sure. It was definitely wild. It is like uh, it, it's just funny because he is just like all the guys there. We identify with him in a certain way, and it's funny that like he's like, oh, the cool kids, and it's like. Well, we think like like what we like about you is because we see that gleam of cool kid in there every now and then oh, when yeah. you get oh, enraged. McBaste <laughs> is everything, dude. We all see ourselves in McBaste. You know, I hope yeah. I hope I can you know can can be that based if I you know if I make it to to my fifties. Yeah, no, he's you know? awesome. I love him. He's a great guy. He's, he's I know he's he's funny. I, I I mean, I mean, I think he probably puts on a little bit of a, of a you know more professionalism when he gives like appearances like that. I think maybe I got a little bit more of a dressed down version of him, so that was cool. Yeah, but no, uh, that was that yeah. was great to see him in that in that setting. And and yeah, I mean, you know, he's he's like you said, he's Ron Paul's right hand man. 
and uh, he's the guy. Yeah. So yeah, when he's doing the Ron Paul Liberty Report, he's got to be a little bit. He's got to you know he's got to be professional and a little bit more buttoned up. But yeah, uh, yeah, no, he's actually going to be at the Rage Against the the War Machine march this weekend with Eric and Reed. So man, that's going to be quite an event. Yeah, that'll be great. I think, I think that means definitely sounds. I mean, there's definitely a lot of stuff going on there for sure. I mean, I, I hope it's a good show. I hope it's a lot of good speeches. I mean, I don't know. I'm not really like a hoorah, like rally guy. I'm not against it. I don't know. Have fun, I guess. I, I don't know. Uh, <laughs> I'm neither. Uh, I'm more like ambivalent. Uh, but like I'm kind of, I don't know. It, how much really comes out of this stuff? I don't know. I'm not saying like I'm against it or for it. I just, yeah. I, I get what I, you're saying. <laughs> but I mean, at the end of the day, I'm sure people show up. They get good speeches. They you know, a lot of cool stuff. Uh, I mean, it, in that sense, it's, it'll probably be great for sure. So. Although, I mean, there's been a whole lot of hullabaloo over the whole thing. So, yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, honestly, it feels like probably the biggest anti-war event since the Iraq war, you know, 20 Mm -hmm. years ago. So, of course, the powers that be are going to do what they can to stifle it or stop it or, uh, you know, undermine it and criticize it and make it look insignificant. But I think it is significant when you look at the roster of speakers, you know, everyone from Mm -hmm. McBase to uh, Ron Paul, uh, Roger Waters, I think, is sending in a video. Tulsi Gabbard will be there. uh, you know, Jimmy Dore. So there's a good cross selection of people who are united you know, on the anti-war platform. So yeah. it's, uh, it, it's kind of crazy, man. The inversion in our country with uh, foreign policy in the wars, man, it's just not, it's just not popular Yeah, it's, it, to be anti-war, especially now it's crazy. Yeah. So I asked about the, okay, about the OKC thing, how much you watched, because I didn't know if you caught what was going on in that. Like if you've seen, watched the whole series, you would probably pick up some of the context. And maybe we've talked about before, maybe you've heard this, but one of the, probably my second favorite, and I guess favorite's kind of a perverse word to use for it because it's such a tragedy, but I guess favorite in the sense of like most intriguing uh, angle of the OKC, you know, for me was that angle being expressed in that edit. The first being Yiki, of course, because like he is, in my opinion, probably one of the most obvious like you know, like suicides that was or murders that was ruled a suicide that I've, I've ever seen. And then you add on to the aspect of what a sympathetic character he was, that he was legitimately trying to do the right thing. All that, you know, and the fact he had kids ma- makes it that much worse. So I think it's like a great hook to bring people in. And it's also like a good, like, you know, there's also like, this, he, I, I have no problem saying, like, there's some stuff in the OKC thing that I kind of have to caveat with, like, okay, well, we don't know this 100%. We don't know this 100%. I can tell you 100%. Terrence Yiki was murdered. And I can tell you with 99.999% that the, the government was involved to some degree. Now, it may have just been the local PD, or not the local, because a lot of people don't realize when he was murdered, uh, the, the actually his PD, uh, it wasn't even their jurisdiction, but they immediately took over, even though they had no, like, there was no justification for it whatsoever. They just did, uh, which is like one of the suspicious things about it. But uh, they took over, uh, and it, there's no way that the, the that went down, got ruled a suicide, all the craziness when you start digging into it. No way that could happen without some sort of corruption, at least at the uh, at the uh, police level. I think the feds were probably involved as well. I think that's very likely. But anyways, the second angle is uh, the 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 fact that there, it's alluded to. Uh, you know, there's multiple things that seem to suggest that McVeigh may have been a legitimate asset. Because what happened is, I, I believe this was corroborated by his sister, which that may have been who was in the uh, in there. I believe there were letters or stuff that are used as sources. And I want to say, I don't know if it was to his, one of his defense attorneys or, or, or what, but uh, I, I believe one of the, because when he first got picked up after it, he was saying a lot of crazy, like 
lot like basically singing like saying everything and then later his story became the official narrative which is weird but you know it's kind of like well maybe he just fell in line someone got to him and was like hey man you know let me tell you what's going to happen or whatever you know there's a million different ways they can control things but supposedly he uh he was in the military he the story is that he told i don't know if it was other inmates or if it was his defense attorney but i know for a fact there was something to his sister uh he essentially said that he uh he when he's in the military he went to go to like special forces training and the official story is that his foot was hurting him from like being in the field from before and he wasn't able to continue on uh and so he washed out but his story, what he said to his sister, and I believe one or two other people at least, like like legit sources, is that they essentially brought him into some sort of black ops thing. They said, hey, due to whatever things, you know, what are, you know, psychological profiles, we feel like you fit well for this. And, you know, you'll basically be taken off the books. It'll look like you're out of the military, but we'll have you doing shit for us. And, I mean, if you look at the McVeigh from that lens and a lot of the crazy stuff he did, it, and, you know, you follow his story, it clicks. So, I mean, there are sources, but I, I do try to caveat that it's, like, not 100%. There's no smoking gun because, obviously, like, I mean, there might be one day uh, Jesse trying to do in court working on it. You know, he might get something. But, you know, when someone probably goes off books, they're probably literally off books and there's no record. So, you're, you're, right. that's one of those things they're probably never really going to be able to confirm one way or the other. Like, 100%. I mean, for me, it's like I... I generally, I guess I kind of believe it. That's kind of my thought, but I, I don't assert it in that like I could prove it. <laughs> yeah, right. It makes so. the most sense to you though. And, and I've yeah. always kind of wondered too, and I, I'm, I'm pretty sure the footage exists and it's out there somewhere. Um, who was John Doe number two or the second person mm. to get out of the truck with him, you know, or, or the other person on the footage. Um, even Dana Rohrbacher, the former congressman is, is, uh, you know, thought there was a conspiracy. He, he may have tried to link it to some kind of Middle Eastern thing, um or suspects but yeah that is a, a like a smaller angle which has very weak evidence to support it i guess but it's kind of sort of circumstantial the main connection there i believe there might be other connections people make but terry nichols the the official accomplice the only other accomplice that really got indicted uh he uh he's he in jail to, right he's still in jail yeah, right in jail yeah. indicted is the right word that's when you go to jail right or, yeah, yeah, he was, yeah, he was okay. indicted. He was convicted. Yeah, okay. yeah. yeah. convicted, indicted, whatever. I don't fucking know. Yeah, Legal yeah, terms. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but he uh, he took a lot of weird trips to the Philippines, and that's where I forget the name of the Haji guy. It was uh, the dude, um, the one did the the ninety three world uh, uh, bombing. I believe he was kind of oh, staged. Oh, Yusuf. Yeah. So there's a lot of people think right. all of Nichols' extensive trips to there uh were because of that reason but he kind of had a sort of excuse although there were he definitely was at some point probably meeting up with shady actors but his wife he's he had doing a mail sex order tourism bride. Yeah. yeah yeah well his mail order bride was from over there so a lot of times there was periods where he was literally visiting her and then she came back to the states and like uh, there was like you know visiting family but there were times where there was no reason for it and he was just going over there like so I don't know. Maybe he was meeting up with them, but it's it's a lot of people will run with that. It's kind of like they're running off of weak evidence, and it's like there's so much like hard evidence. I mean, it's a fun you know to angle to entertain, but like I mean, even then, like to what extent would they really plan? They they I don't know helped with explosive materials. I I don't know. Like how much could they really support from you know over there? So even if McVeigh was an asset, do you still believe that he was? Um, he, he was guilty and he believed he, he turned or he actually, you know, had these radical ideas and, um, of course, anti-government ideas, but enough of, of those ideas to, to do something violent. Or do you like, think do, he was trying to infiltrate the plot or do you think he, he was? 
if I'm going with the angle that he was an asset, yeah, I don't know to what extent he actually ideologically fell in line with the the people that he was with because a lot of people. This is one one of the common points is there was a bunch of accomplices. He was basically I don't know if he was technically part of the ARA, the Aryan Resistance something. I forget what the ace the last A stands for, but some like basically neo Nazi group. Uh, and he was like kind of in cahoots with them. I don't know if he's officially a member, but he hung out with them a lot in like Elohim City. They Elohim, there's definitely yeah. there's multiple other characters that were part of that group or so, so sort of loosely associated that were you know almost extremely clearly accomplices in some way. Um, but I, I, I don't know. I mean, like he could have been like I, I, it is kind of like hard. Like, I don't know, it could have been completely all a front. He could have believed, like, it could have been one of those things where, like, Yes, he did work for the feds, but he also believed it, which made it easy. I don't know. It's kind of like I don't know what his mind was at. At the end of the day, though, I feel like he was likely uh, he was part of PatCon, uh, which is essentially the uh, the right wing's version of like COINTELPRO, which they were infiltrating right wing movements. And this is PatCon is something that's basically been confirmed. It's not something that's had a, as much stuff released as a lot of other things like COINTELPRO or MKUltra or stuff like that. A lot less documents, but it's basically confirmed. It's pretty much confirmed from. Uh, I, I want to say some of that stuff is stuff Jesse Trinidu got out of court, but uh, yeah. So Pat Con was that, and you know, funny enough, that's kind of what. Whenever McVeigh got picked up, he he did say that, and he was essentially basically describing Pat Con, and uh, and then later, much later after the fact, you know, I don't remember when the releases were. Probably like maybe a decade or so. I'm talking my ass a little bit out of here, but I know it was well after the bombing that we did find out Pat Con was a real thing. So I was like, oh, right. this thing he was describing. Not so crazy, but when you're 95 and you hear that, you're like, "What the fuck is he talking about?" <laughs> well, I mean, it's even you know, uh, you know, even if you go back to the Kennedy assassination and Lee Harvey Oswald, um, you know, he was. Uh, there's a lot of research to suggest that he was a false defector to the Soviet Union yep. uh, when he went over there in 1959 with the Marines, and um, you know, he goes over to the Soviet Union and supposedly tells them that he's got information about the U-2 spy plane and. He's got, you know, military secrets he wants to share, but the Russians are like, hmm, I don't know if we actually trust this guy. He he's probably, he could very well be a double agent or, mil you know, military, uh, some kind of false, you know, defector program because they knew about that. They, they We were sending all kinds of people over there to do that. And, and of course, they were trying to do it to us. Um, so, yeah, it's interesting. It's an interesting thing, uh, correlation, you know, that Oswald, you know, uh, like a, the Senator uh, Richard Swiker from the House Select Committee, which was the second investigation into the assassination, said that uh, everywhere you look with Oswald, uh, there's fingerprints of intelligence. Yeah. So, and, you know, with, he, these, with these characters, it's like you can never like confirm it because that's kind of the nature of what they do or are. But it is like this is why I like the term glowy because it works. It's like you can say a good way to describe what you're saying is they glow. They glow. Yeah, and it's like you're not yeah. saying 100% that's a fed. You're saying they glow. Like, I mean, it might be a light glow. It might be a really, really bright, bright glow. But they're glowing. <laughs> they're putting off some signs. <laughs> oh, it's interesting, too. Three weeks before Kennedy was killed, uh, like so the, like uh, November 2nd, um, 1963, uh, there was a Chicago plot uncovered um, to assassinate Kennedy mm. and, uh, former secret service agent, Abraham Bolden. I don't know if you're familiar with him or his story at all. Um, kind of a guy like Yiki. I mean, he's still alive. It's amazing. He survived, but his story is, you know, he was persecuted and they lo locked him up and trumped up some false bribery charges against him, and eventually got him committed to an insane asylum and pretty much tortured him. 
you know, he was the first African-American on the presidential uh, security detail for Ke- for Kennedy. Uh, JFK called him the Jackie Robinson of the Secret Service. Uh, I had him on my podcast, actually, a few years back, yeah. and he's got a great book out. And actually, Brandon pardoned him last year, if you can believe that. April of last year, he was finally pardoned. So that shows you there there are good people on the inside. They say, oh, somebody would have talked, or if somebody knew something or found out something, they would have talked. Well, plenty of people did. Look what happened to them. They got yeah. their lives destroyed. You yep. know, he essentially got set up and, and uh, framed for, you know, something he didn't do. And it totally ruined his career and his life. Um, but back to the plot in Chicago, three weeks before Kennedy's killed, uh, there's a former Marine named Thomas Arthur Valley, who's picked up uh, by the authorities. Um, he doesn't have any guns on him, but he has hundreds of rounds of ammunition. And he had been heard making uh, very, you know, virulent anti-Kennedy remarks. Uh, he was also stationed in Japan, just like Lee Harvey Oswald. Very similar profile, was part of the John Birch Society. Um, of course, Oswald was was uh, supposedly a member of the Fair Play for Cuba Committee. Um, I don't know if you've seen the famous footage or pictures of Oswald on the street handing out those flyers, um, which is supposedly a, a pro-Castro, you know, a, a Cuban Castro sympathizing group, even though in New Orleans, when Oswald was there, there was uh, only one member of the group in that chapter, and that was him. And he was, you know, making flyers at an address that was shared by a former FBI guy named Guy Bannister, um, who was also connected to John Birch. So it's funny, even back in the 60s, you had these groups that were being infiltrated, you know, by the government and looked at and basically used and manipulated uh, to create a narrative and a legend, which is what they did for Oswald. Um, because once Oswald is arrested, uh, the very first story in the mainstream media to depict him as a crazy pro-Castro, um, you know, communist uh, was was connected to, you know, his time with the Fair Play for Cuba, which was funded by a uh, CIA agent down there um, by the name of um, uh, not uh, David Atlee Phillips, who also went by Maurice Bishop. Um, he was connected to that. And then there was another CIA guy. Um, uh, he was always hunting for the mole. Sorry, it's been a long day. I'm trying to remember his name. No, but yeah, no, when you drop, start dropping names, that's why I tend to try to say with vagaries as opposed to specific <laughs> facts because those are way harder to remember. When someone can spit facts, you're like, all right, they know their shit. <laughs> yeah, but 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 this the point is there was a CIA agent who was funding um, this, this, this anti-Castro student group um, in New Orleans, and he was involved with them, and they were... Um, you know, causing a scene, you know, Oswald gets on TV at one point to talk about how he's a, uh, you know, a Leninist and, and, and all this weird stuff. And it's all, yeah. yeah, it's almost like they want to, they want to have like a, uh, um, evidence in a paper trail for that. Yeah. And it's um, almost like when McVeigh showed up at Waco. <laughs> did he really? Yeah, yeah, he was. There's photos of Matt Waco. He was at Waco, clearly upset by it. Um, yeah, I mean. Well, isn't that yeah. what they say the official reason is for the, the bombing? He was upset yeah. about... Basically, yeah. But yeah, he had a, a, maybe he was at Ruby Ridge, too. I don't know that for certain. I know, I know I'm like 99% certain he was at uh, Waco. I'm like, like 49% he was, at, uh, he, was at, he was at Ruby Ridge as well. But I, I might be wrong. It's like <laughs> with Oswald, there's never really been an actual official uh, motive or reason given for why he would have killed Kennedy. Um, actually, there, there's evidence that he liked, he liked Kennedy. He respected him and admired him. He had a photo of him in his, hanging up in his house. 
and you know was never heard saying anything disparaging about him so there's so much about it that just doesn't make any sense and if if he was this psychopath uh, egotistical uh lone nut when he has all the world's cameras on him why does he deny that he did it the whole time why why wouldn't he take credit and bask in it right and revel yeah. in it he he maintained his innocence up until he was killed yeah wild uh, I got a, one of my uh, one of the dudes showed up. Eddie he usually shows up for these. When, when do you think the government started infiltrating groups they didn't like for eternity? Basically, I don't I don't know. When, when did the government form? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what was the first government? What was the first? What was the first meeting of Quakers who were against war? Yeah. You know, I mean, these they, they infiltrate the freaking Quakers, man. So yeah. of course they're going to infiltrate these right wing groups in the '90s and nowadays. I mean, it's cartoonish nowadays, yeah. really. Like you, you did great work with uh, the Whitmer plot and. Mm. Uh, Brendan Caserta and I mean it, it's it's cartoonish like it's uh yeah. it's the meme you know it's all the Spider-Man pointing at each other and they're all it's so they're all FBI <laughs> yeah it takes them a while for their tactics to change and there's something I think we'll probably talk about a little bit later that I I do think their tactics may be changing I think uh like uh you know it takes them they kind of lag you know that's that's the that's the difference between the free market and the state is that the free market's way more innovative so they're ahead of it uh you know typically uh, but the state takes a while to catch up. They keep the same blueprint, but they're like they they kind of modernize as as they go. But they kind of like they always lag. Like with like the Michigan one, it was like they like it was so fucked up. They they were so clunky, and it's like, I, I, I yeah, it it is it is funny how how this works out. It's just yeah, I, I don't know. I had a point, but I completely zoned out. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean you know they 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 uh, they move the plot along to a certain point, and they uh, they prod it, and they they um. You know they push it, man. They they move the ball up up the court, and all it takes is a is a, a young disaffected or um, demoralized individual or someone who wants to belong to something or someone who has mental illness or ha I mean this is that there's a great documentary called The Power of Nightmares. Uh, I think Richard Curtis did it or a, a British guy. I forget I forget his name, but it's it's a really good documentary, and they talk about all these terror plots that were 100% concocted by the FBI. Like from the purchase of materials to holding the hands of these people, getting them up to a point where they're they're going to do it, and, and you know, thinking that they're part of a, a terrorist group, and it's yep. actually just the feds. Um, yep, Terror Factory so, by Trevor Aronson that covers that as well. I mean, I haven't read yeah. that one you mentioned, but and then uh, it yeah. just it just justifies their budgets the next year to yeah. go higher and higher. It's, it's yeah. really what ends up happening, and there's more surveillance, and it the thing's just Leviathan. Yeah, and the, the funny thing though is like you brought up the Michigan thing earlier. The thing that really like really pissed me off and got me a lot of stain and kind of like why is this not bigger about the Michigan one was like, all right, typically how this works with like a like what you were mentioning and kind of like with the book that I read, Trevor Aronson. Uh, you know, he's kind of going to like how informants work, and then uh, also like uh, like I think the main point of that one is kind of like how informants work, generally speaking. But yeah, they also is kind of going into how they prey upon people. They usually find them like when they're down on their luck. Typically, people who are like anti-government or anti-some whatever thing they're trying to go after. And then they like completely poke and prod them ideologically. They'll be like, hey, we'll give you this. We'll give you that. They basically give them everything they need to do it. But then usually how it works, it's almost like this thing where like, but then the person tries to do it. It might be like a fake bomb or, or, or they bust them before they even do it. And they already have the evidence. But the person generally usually is like, I mean, not, this is not 100%. Don't be wrong. There's other occasions where it doesn't happen. And then they get them up for something else. I remember there was one sad story in the book where there was somebody like that where he didn't even go through with it. And then they just fucked him for something else and then tried to use the stuff he said during that period with the informant to kind of railroad him. It was a whole to do. I forget the specifics. 
but uh it, it is it is god fuck i forgot my point i'm, I'm fucking spacey today but uh god what was i even fucking talking you, about oh, you had a tim pool hangover you're still hungover yeah, from tim yeah, pool's beanie so sorry it's yeah, just, it's I, the power of the beanie, Jose. But uh, how the informants were and how they prey on these people. Oh, I remember my point. And the idea was that I was getting at was that like usually, typically, <coughs> they actually carry it out. Whereas like with the Michigan one, they didn't even carry it out. So it's like, Demir, I, I think it's fucked up to do that in the first place. Take someone and completely manipulate them to do something illegal and do literally everything for them to be able to make them be able to do it. But at least there's like almost an argument to be like, but they did it, and that was still wrong. So like, because right. like you can understand that like if you were someone and uh, someone just handed you a bomb and said, hey, go blow up this school. Here's your plans. Here's your getaway. Here's everything. If you did it, it's still wrong. So you're like, okay, all right, all right. like yeah, I'm not like yeah, you're I, still involved and you still yeah. had yeah intent and you yeah, you carried so, it out. Like it's kind of fucked up that they did all that and they kind of like concocted it and they're like kind of making more problems and they're really doing anything about, but. All right, they were going to do it. So, all right, there's something there. But when they don't even do it, like with the Michigan one, it's like, what the fuck? <laughs> like, it, it was like they didn't even come close to doing it. it it's just right. the most contrived bullshit there ever was, really. And the original idea for it, wasn't it just suggested by one of the actual feds or one of the informants? Basically, everything was suggested by them. <laughs> and then everyone was just kind of like, no. Like, if anything, they're almost like, what? No, like, what are you? Was it some Fed shit? <laughs> and then they want to paint anybody who has similar ideology or um, travels in those circles. Um, they want to paint them all with the same brush, and and they yeah. they really, unfortunately, that those type of tactics are still pretty effective, you know. So, anyways, I wanted to talk a little bit about JFK stuff, and particularly Jack Ruby. It's a little bit cheating because I'm probably going to try to do another JFK uh, series here soon. And I just kind of want to dig your brain into Jack Ruby because I don't, I don't know a ton about him. I know there's a lot of weird fucky shit about him. For one, obviously, that fact that he then killed Oswald uh, and just for seemingly no reason. And then also I, I find it very weird that he then shortly, what, like four years or so later dies of cancer. Like, yeah, I mean, I haven't looked into it. I think. Yeah, like I haven't looked into it enough to see like. Because, I mean, I don't know. I guess if someone was regularly going to the hospital and actually had cancer, you could like, you know actually document it but i feel like in the 60s if you were in prison they probably could just like paper that over and make it look like you had cancer and oh, you just died you know i don't know the, the, the government's on way worse shit so i don't know i just also feel yeah. weird for all i know they have a cancer machine out there i don't know that too <laughs> who knows man maybe maybe they have the cure for cancer i've lost several relatives to it and I, and just going through that experience and just seeing the for-profit nature of it um they think of how much money they would lose if the cure if there was a cure and people got better from it and they weren't you know in the system but uh yeah ruby's an interesting uh interesting case i mean you know when he was on tv and then taken in uh according to roger stone richard nixon said to him oh i recognize him i i, I worked with him back in the day uh ruby was involved with uh you know mafioso type stuff he was involved with gun running um you know with he had his nightclub there the carousel club in dallas where you know a lot of the police officers were chummy with him they would come in and you know he'll comp their drinks and you know hook them up with a date or whatever and uh yeah i mean it's interesting uh he ends up in the basement of the uh police department there in the garage to shoot oswald i mean you know you would think that uh, they would have had that locked down but because of the you know relationship he had with the police and you know he was they were like oh it's just uh it's just jack and uh you know yeah he can be in here that's fine i mean he was even at a press conference that famous press conference that oswald did the short and sweet one 
that he called it, where you see him, he's clearly, he looks beaten up and bruised and he's, you know, begging, he's essentially begging and pleading for legal assistance and someone to come forward to represent him. And um, you, there's a photo, there's a famous photo where you can see Jack Ruby in the background, basically like stalking him. I think basically Ruby had to kill Oswald by the end of that weekend. You know, he couldn't let him live to Monday. Um, there could be no trial. And officially he said, oh, I, I wanted to spare Jackie Kennedy the um, humiliation and degradation of having to come back here and, and you know, have a trial with Oswald. Yeah. And he did it to he did it because he, he felt bad and he was trying to just be a good American and, and kill the guy who killed Kennedy. Which he was like an extremely seedy, like criminal underground character. Yeah. That was ran a strip club. So I, I just struggle. Like, I don't know. I guess you could be someone who runs a strip club club and be a reputable sure. person and actually genuinely care about the first lady's feelings to that extent. But I don't know. I just generally oh, think that person. That. Yeah. I mean, that's a little, I well, don't there's, know. <laughs> there's one witness and, and, and she's featured in the JFK movie briefly, I think under a different name. Cause Oliver Stone had to change some of the people's, real names for legal reasons, but uh, her name is Julianne Mercer and she testified to the Warren Commission to to this information that she was driving on Elm Street uh, the day of the assassination earlier in the day and she saw a truck pulled over uh, on the curb, uh, this green truck, and she saw Jack Ruby getting out of the truck and another man and she saw like a, a bundle that, that looked like it you know, could be a gun or some kind of weapon. And she said, clear as day, this is what I saw. Um, you know, she told the authorities this. This is what she reported to the Warren Commission. And uh, and then she looked at it some years later uh, where it was notarized and at her signature uh, for her statement. And she said, well, first of all, I never signed. I didn't sign this. And this is not my signature. So they changed what she said. And then they added a different signature to it. And that's what ended up in the Warren Commission. And you see that being done so many times with witness state statements, you see witness statements, not even in the Warren commission. You see people who were witnesses that weren't even interviewed like Aquila Clemens, um, who was, who lived right near where officer JD Tippett was shot, uh, shortly after Kennedy. And that's originally what Oswald was picked up for. Um, he was picked up for, uh, the shooting of officer Tippett. And there's a whole bunch of irregularities with that story. Um, what's interesting is where Tippett was killed, it was, it was actually not far from um, an apartment that Jack Ruby had. And there's some people who think that Ruby was actually involved in the Tippett shooting or, or there with someone else. And some of the witnesses identified a stocky fellow running away from that scene. Whereas officially, um, Oswald was walking down the street. Uh, Tippett pulled up to him. Oswald went to... Uh, talk to him, you know, in the, in the passenger side window and then pulls his gun out and shoots him and then, you know, walks out onto the street after Tippett stumbles out of the car and, and shoots him in the head. Yeah. And you definitely um, want to describe uh, Oswald as a, as a stocky fella. He's a, he was a lanky guy. He might have been yeah, short, was, but he was, he was little, skinny. yeah, 20, 24 years old, probably five foot eight, maybe, maybe five, nine receding hairline. Um, and yet you have that witness, Aquila Clemens, who saw two men fleeing. One of them was Stocky, who resembled Jack Ruby. You have another witness who was in a truck parked on the street, who, who saw something very similar, two men. Um, but officially, it's just Oswald. And the police aren't there, you know, at responding to the scene for some time afterwards. But there's other witnesses who saw a police car that was there. So there's all kinds of weird stuff with, with uh, officer Tippett and the possibility that he knew Ruby ahead of time. Um, there's all kinds of eyewitness statements about Oswald and Ruby being seen together. 
So, uh, yeah, Ruby was very shady. He was very shady, and he was involved with the, the mafia. And, of course, I think you touched on this in one of your Kennedy episodes. Um, when he was being evaluated for trial, he was visited by none other than the CIA mind control doctor, Jolly West, yep. which was uncovered, I think, fairly recently by Tom O'Neill for his book, Chaos. Yep, it's that's a good book. That's, that's a bomb. That yeah, that's a great book. That's a yeah. bombshell revelation, man. Yeah. Like out of all the doctors and previous ones, you know, court uh, issued ones said, "Oh no, he's competent. Yeah, he's good. You know, I, I did the eval on him, and he, you know, he's not crazy." And but it was uh, Charlie West who went in there, and I just pictured that scene from Batman Begins with the scarecrow mask, you know, just freaking out the guy in the interrogation room, and yeah. who knows what he did to him? If he poisoned yeah. him, or if he we don't know. I mean, now the, what we know now about Jolly West, you, I wouldn't be surprised about any of that. Yeah, Jolly West, uh, he also plays a part in OKC. I don't know if I ever told you this or you got to that part in the series, but he uh, so. he was, I want to say he was like a trauma counselor or something for the people in OKC, like the, wow. the some of the witnesses or the victims or whatever. And also, I don't think he ever met with McVeigh, or at least not that was documented that we know of. But his protege, one of his protégés, I don't remember the guy's name. Uh, I wish I could remember it right now. Uh, it's in the series. If you go, it's something. Um, uh, one of jo Jolly West. One of Jolly West protégés, one of his underlings, someone who was also kind of closely associated with it. I, I can't remember his name. Uh, you know, it, uh, maybe it'll come to me later. It doesn't really matter. It's but not, he, Dr. Gottlieb, Sidney Gottlieb. No, it's not Gottlieb. No, Gottlieb okay. was like his. Uh, I believe Gottlieb was kind of over uh, Jolly West, but Jolly West kind of became the one more more notorious kind of. Uh, I read yeah. Poisoner in Chief about Gottlieb, which is by yep, Stephen King. I did that great, one too. Yep. Great Good book, book yeah. yeah. Sorry, book, but yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, you were saying. So Jolly West uh, was a grief counselor for OKC people? Yes, and then also the one of his protégés, I can't remember the guy's name, uh, you know, one of his kind of like people loosely associated with him was actually documented to be meeting with McVeigh, you know, kind of like I, for I don't know what reasons they gave, uh, you know, psychologist, psychiatrist, whatever the hell. Uh, but he was meeting with him as well. I would, if if I remember correctly, that was somewhere along the time where all of a sudden, ta-da, fucking McVeigh started, uh, you know, instead of singing all the stuff he was before, oh, you know what, I'm here with the official narrative. So I don't know, maybe some crazy MK Ultra stuff, maybe as simple as, hey man, we're going to get you out of here. Because that's another thing he told people in uh, in his cells that, um, I don't know, at least one, if maybe maybe multiple people, that he was gonna, he was going to live, that they they were going to fake his death or they were going to get him out of there or whatever, which I don't yeah. necessarily believe that happened. I think I think there's a good chance maybe he was told that by handlers or something. Possibly, <laughs> yeah. Cor Corbett did it. Corbett, I think, alluded to that. His yeah. James Corbett did a great piece on OKC, and I think I think that's the, either his piece or is it the end of Noble Lie where they kind of say it's possible that you know they they put the the shade down and they injected him and then just took the body out but yeah. they think maybe I think it's there possible was like that they snuck him out or I think what they used to support that is I believe there was one eyewitness who I think was watching it on like a CCTV type thing said that it looked like he was still breathing so I don't know uh, so I mean that's that's really weak but I mean it's yeah. a lot of people like to go on that and have fun with it I don't know I mean that's I wouldn't be surprised that's more of a spe yeah. in the realm of speculation yeah, yeah. I, I mean I, I, I yeah I, I wouldn't be surprised either way I think he was probably killed that's my guess uh, I mean, you know, loose ends. <laughs> well, yeah. And, you know, back to Ruby, back to Jack Ruby. I'm, I don't know if you've seen this clip, but there's a clip of him sitting there with his lawyer, um, you know, being asked a couple of questions. It's a black and white clip. And they, and they say, you know, um, were there powerful forces involved in the assassination, you know, be, beyond 
you know, was there a plot? And he said, yes, these are very powerful forces and powerful people and the full truth and, 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 you know, my role in it, um, I can't say, but it, you know, it will, it will come out. And he, you know, requested to go to Washington DC to testify and not stay in Dallas, which they refused to do. And the one mainstream reporter at the time, um, her name was Dorothy Kilgallen. She was the only one that was uh, able to get an interview, uh, exclusive interview with Jack Ruby and actually sit down with him and do conductive, um, conduct, you know, research and ask questions and, and be really thorough with notes and everything. And she was writing a book about it. And, you know, she had these sessions with Ruby and she said, I'm going to crack the case wide open. And then she ends up dead and all of her notes went missing. No way. And she, the, <laughs> dude, the Dorothy Kilgallen story is will blow your mind because, yeah. um, you know, like, you know, the show Hollywood Squares. Yeah. You know, they have all, like the celebrities and, you know, certain people of the week who are who are um, participating. So she was part of a show like that back in the 60s. I forget what it was called. La it wasn't laughing. It was uh, it was a very popular like current events uh comedy game show political type thing that she was part of and she was a very well-respected journalist uh she was very talented she was a great writer um you know she was she was of that scene and um uh you know she was found at her house in her guest room uh lying upright in her bed in in the guest room uh reading a, with, with a book on her and it was a book she'd already read and uh, they ruled it a suicide or an accidental overdose. But there's a book that's come out fairly recently where there's evidence to suggest that she was poisoned. Um, they said, oh, this was barbiturates and, you know, this was an overdose or a possible suicide. And it, it seems more likely that uh, somebody during dinner put something in her drink and poisoned her. And then her mm -hmm. notes disappeared as well. And, yeah, it's weird. Uh, it reminds would... me of, of I believe I want to say there might be some OKC out there that says what the fuck is wrong. I want to say it was Fortier, Michael Fortier. I might be wrong, but nonetheless, one of the uh, uh, you know likely accomplices uh, of um, of uh, McVeigh, uh, one of the many likely ones. Maybe it was Fortier. I might be wrong on the name, so don't get mad at me, OKC guys out there. But one of them, I think Michael Fortier. Um, he got you know sent to prison shortly after. I don't believe it was even anything associated with uh, McVeigh. I believe it was criminal activities with the ARA was doing that you know got him booked up. And he kind of loudly was saying that you know that he was writing a book and he was going to talk to like journalists. And I believe he was I want to say at a date in court or something. And he was kind of loudly being like kind of like yeah, I'm going to kind of blow the world's mind kind of deal. And like and boop, you know, he died in a cell, kind of in an Epstein type style. You know, really? kind of hung himself. Yep. I mean, don't you know, he could have legitimately killed himself, but according to, I want to say it was his family or somebody said that, you know, he was in good spirits. Everything didn't make sense, which I mean, I don't know. I guess that still can mean he killed himself. I, I don't know. It's also just the timings, you know, like, you know, like pretty uh, convenient, but it's also like uh, he, I mean, he could just kill himself. I mean, this is where there's a lot of times with these type things is what people like criticize a like, conspiracy theorist for bringing up stuff like this. And I do think it's important to like caveat somewhat. Like it doesn't mean, yeah. For sure, but you know, let's be real. If we start adding things together and you start nosing patterns, it's like yeah, I mean, a conglomeration of things. You're like, there's, all right, this is weird. <laughs> there's some real blatant ones with the Kennedy assassination and yeah. uh, Richard uh, Bels Belzer or Belsner, the actor there, has a great book called uh, Kill List, and uh, he details Dorothy Kilgallen, who I was just telling you about, and then there's S. M. Holland, who was uh, on the triple overpass where the the 
the car came over and, and he clearly saw some kind of smoke coming from the grassy knoll. Um, you know, I'm pretty sure he ends up having a mysterious death and there's, um, Lee Bowers, who was, who overlooked the railroad, uh, tracks that was kind of, you know, behind the picket fence, saw several cars coming in the area, even after the authorities had, um, supposedly shut it down to traffic and cars coming in. Uh, he saw two or three cars, late fifties models, uh, coming in and, you know, just strange looking men back there and something caught his attention at the time of the shooting near the fence. And, you know, he thinks it was, he was pretty sure it was a shot and, uh, he ends up dead a couple years later in a single car crash, uh, which was, had some weird, uh, weird circumstances. And then there's George DeMornschild, who was like Oswald's babysitter. I don't know if you're familiar with him at all, but he was part of the uh, white Russian community down in uh, Texas. And, you know, he's this wealthy oil guy. He's a, uh, um, you know, he's a geologist and he just so happens to befriend Oswald who has no money. Like what's this old, older wealthy guy doing, uh, you know, hanging out with Lee Harvey Oswald who has no money you know, is not part of his social class and, uh, he befriends him and, you know, kind of, kind of guides him, And, and, uh, you know, it later emerged that he was, you know, told by a CIA guy in Texas named Jay Walton Moore to essentially hand Oswald off to Ruth and Michael Payne, uh, the Paynes, which is where Oswald's, uh, you know, wife was, was living with Ruth Payne and she's actually still alive. And there's a great documentary that came out about her by a guy named Max Good, which I, Highly recommend checking out. But DeMornschill um, was called to testify in the 70s for the House Select Committee uh, that came out in 78. And just before he'd go to testify, he ends up dead. Gunshot wound. Um, you know, ruled the suicide, but definitely could have been a murder. So that's that's another uh, witness to uh, look into. And he was actually um, connected to George H.W. Bush, uh, Bush Sr., who was, of course, the head of the CIA. And DeMornschill writes a personal letter to Bush, you know, pleading for help, saying, hey, I'm in a bind here with this Oswald situation and the Kennedy assassination. You know, Bush writes him back and says, ah, nothing I can do about it. And then DeMornschill ends up dead. So yeah. that's an interesting. And, you know, there's there's two official conclusions that the government reached. There's the Warren Committee that says Oswald did it himself, three shots. And then there's the House Select Committee on Assassinations which is when Congress was looking at the CIA and the family jewels and the assassinations of the sixties. And they ruled that there was probably a conspiracy. So there's actually two official government conclusions, you know, which one do you believe? Right. Yeah. Uh, probably both are wrong. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, you brought up earlier chaos and uh, we were talking earlier that I thought this is a interesting connection and kind of leads into what I kind of want to get into next. Um, how, uh, these things, you know, evolve over time and sort of adapt. Now, when I, if you read Chaos, I, I think he never, he kind of just lays out the evidence and the stuff that he's found out. And he never really makes any strong conclusions. He more leaves it to you, to the reader, to kind of piece it together. But the way I saw it is it basically sounded like what he was explaining was like MK Ultra, but like adapted to a newer age is what was occurring there. Uh, with uh, Manson, he clearly was a crazy person. Now, they may have, 
you know, hyped it up, uh, you know, with with drugs or, you know, messing with them. He was in some weird program in prison at some time and had some sort of handler type who coincidentally later became his uh, parole officer, which is weird how those two things ran into each other. Yeah, kept him but, out of prison so many times. Yep. Yep. And, uh, and so, and then also then he ended up getting his whole harem of women and then like kind of his like little mini cult and like that he would always have them on drugs and kind of making suggestions. And then lo and behold, there seems to be some weird other stuff going on. I don't know what it definitely was an aspect of infiltrating Hollywood, maybe some other aspect of other stuff. Cause he was chummy with a lot of those big wigs, uh, seemed to be like, he was the kind of guy that got them drugs and stuff. Um, but I just, I do think it's like, that was a good example of how, like say something changes over time, you take MK Ultra, they adapted to more like the hippie age. They they kind of worked off that. And I think we may very well be experiencing or soon to experience some sort of similar thing of like expanding upon that multiple other things, putting them together. I do think, and a lot of people might think it's crazy. It's actually funny. Uh Clint, my buddy Clint Russell, on one of his most recent episodes, it was like a solo one. I forget what it was called. He was talking about it. And uh I, I don't know if this was like I'm not saying he got it for me or I got it for him or whatever. This is something we've definitely talked about in group chats. Uh, I'm sure he's probably got it from other places as well. But like, it's weird as it may sound, and I probably got a lot of hate from this. The Eliza Blue thing is what really kind of ticked my, my my interest, and or was kind of like, what is going on here? And I don't mean Eliza Blue particularly. She's like, I I don't really like. Don't get me wrong. Uh, if anyone wants my position, because a lot of people like accused us of being like pro Eliza or whatever or whatever, like they kind of dismiss the the bad shit because. I do think she probably likely had some part in getting counts taken down, whether I, I don't know what to what degree. She also did threaten legal action online. Those seem shitty to me. But this thing devolved in this weird pylon thing, and then people started digging to her past, and then this, and then that. And it just seems so inorganic to me. And then once I kind of step back and look at the bigger picture and seeing the fallout of this, and then also other things, you had like the, the Crowder versus Shapiro thing not too long ago. There's also this weird shit going on in the blaze. It's almost like alt, alt media is having these weird fractures and it all seems inorganic. And we're noticing like one thing, you know, Clint pointed out his thing was that there's like, you know, particularly with the Ukraine thing, you see a lot of Ukraine bots, but then even with this Eliza thing, there seemed to be like weird amount of bots that came out. Once again, I'm saying like, I think she did some stuff that was worthy of derision. I like I do, but then this current, this weird pylon where people were crazy and, if you didn't like immediately come out and condemn, it was, it, I don't know. It's just the, this digging into her past and all this other weird stuff that expanded out from it. People started attacking like Tim pool and his like staff and it just got really weird and it seemed inorganic and it blew up. And I'm not saying there aren't real actors that were upset, but it's like, it just felt like some sort of weird op with all the bots and this, mm -hmm. and then people getting stirred up. They're kind of playing off this drama cycle, hyping it up. And it's causing weird fractions. There's been I've seen people getting docs. I've seen people getting weird threats. People putting up people's uh, you know stuff that's like kind of like almost like a I guess blackmail would be the wrong word since they're like they're not actually blackmailing it. They're just putting it out there. It's like sensitive information about people, kind of trashing each other. And it's like if you look at it, it's like that is if that's an op. I mean, I'm not saying it's necessarily not, but if it was, would it look any, if it wasn't, would it look any different? Like, it's <laughs> like you're, 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 you're literally doing all their work for them, putting out all the information they can blackmail people with. They're causing fractures. They're doing this. They're doing that. It's just, I don't know. I see that. And I'm like, Oh, and even if it's not, it does kind of make me think like, okay, this is probably how they'll do it in the future. If not already, they start fucking like, these type of dragging people online, whipping up crowds, 
Because one thing in part three of Shane Cashman's one, a lot of people are upset by the article. I actually thought it was a great article. Uh, and I read part one. Yeah, I, yeah. I was going to read two and three, but they're they're taken down yeah. off Tim Cash's website. Part one's the only one I didn't read. I read part two and part three. Oh. I, assume, I assume part one was probably just like a generic, oh, let me tell you about Eliza and her life. And I was just kind of like, I want to get to like, from the beginning, I knew there was more to the story. And I know Shane's the kind of guy that's going to go want to go into the stuff like the more. Because I didn't really ever give a shit about her past. I just didn't. Like, I, I don't know. Like, whether she was a hooker or she was, you know, trafficked or whatever, I couldn't care less. Like, I, I, I don't know. That wasn't relevant information to me. Well, I mean, you but, hope she wasn't trafficked. I mean, you, you, yeah. You're not, I know. I get what you're saying. You're not yeah. saying, like, oh, well, you know, that, that was the big thing is people were, people were implying she made up her whole story. Right. People were pointing I, out holes in timelines. And the last thing he pointed out, he made a point about this character called, like, a gang stalker, which is like, this is kind of what they do. They whip up frenzies. They will, you know, create bots. They will, they will create fake pages. He was even alluding to, cause that was one of the biggest things I thought was gross was this drama cycle. All these people covering this, covering that. Oh, did she suck this dick, the guy's dick in 2006? This, that, like, it was just insane. And then there were people were trying to like, kind of almost do this. It's like the uh, always sunny in Philadelphia thing where he has like the board. They were almost doing that oh, with yeah. her, like life story. And you're like, yeah, that's, trying that's to twisted. The- yeah, they were piecing together all this evidence, and most of the evidence was like weak at best. And it, but they're also doing it on the fly, and then like using the some weak evidence to uphold their next evidence. And apparently, one of the things he was getting, I don't know the truth of this, but this is totally something that they could do. And then you know, say like a Fed or an op, or even just an, you know, if it is just someone just trying to stir up shit that's not Fed related whatsoever, they a hundred percent like he was implying that one of the things they could do, they were doing is make they would make up like fake pages that would make salacious claims and you if you if you actually did any research whatsoever you could be like why was this website just made yesterday or, or something mm-hmm. like that and and then people run with it and then it's kind of this new cycle to run you can't beat it back and it's like it, it just gets out of control and you can't keep up with it. it's just this crazy pylon that just spirals and to me i was like looking from like a a bird's eye like bigger larger view i'm like I mean, even if this isn't a Fed hop, this like is like a perfect opportunity for Feds to be like, yeah, we should fucking do this. <laughs> let's, take, let's take some notes on how to do this shit now. Yeah, no, man, totally. And I, I talked to, to Eric about this a lot of the times, even when we're not podcasting. Like, if they had that shit going on in the fifties and sixties with MK Ultra and infiltrating mental hospitals, college universities, businesses, organizations, groups, activist groups, I protest groups. What the hell do they have going on now? What I really think it is is they they they're manipulating the technology and social media, like you're saying, whether it's Twitter or Facebook or um, whatever. And I think really where they have the most power is through the television, through the TV screen. Mm-hmm. They they like you almost don't even need to. You, you can just have people believe believing that the feds are involved when it's all just them running around chasing their tail, uh, making shit up. Um, you know, looking at bad information and not even really knowing what the truth is or what's good information or bad information. And it gets to a point where you can't suss it out and you just kind of throw your hands up and you, and it's on to the next thing. Yeah. And that's how, that's how they're able to, that's how they're able to memory hole so much now, man. I mean, you, you know, try to look for something online, you know, from a news article or something I researched 15, 20 years ago and it, you can't even find it now. So it's like, Jesus, did it, did it really exist? Like, yeah. And they got they have everybody so distracted and so caught up in the minutia that the big picture shit just kind of skates kind of right under the radar. I mean, this stuff with, uh, you know, Palestine, Ohio, with the chemical spill, man, I mean, that's pretty crazy. 
Yeah, how that's, I don't know what to make of that. Yeah, how I mean, a lot of the environmentalists are, are like Greta's not on it, and where's Al Gore? You know, is he like, what's going on with that? You know, so yeah, I don't know a lot about the Eliza Blue. I've just heard about it peripherally. Obviously, you know, Eric's on Twitter, and um, you know the Tim the Timcast. I think that Eliza was on Timcast at one point. And... Yeah, she's on twice, I think. But I mean, once again, I, I don't even like. I never even cared about the Eliza Blue aspect of it. I just remember from the be- I guess not from the beginning, but once it started spiraling, I was just like, "This is weird." And if anything, that's what caught my eye. Like, something about this is odd. Like it's just spiraling and then just yeah. I don't know, like looking at it from other angles and you I mean, don't be wrong. And that's, I think the, what made this compelling for, for the drama cycle is that there were legitimate grievances in mm-hmm. the mix and that, but then they just, it and spiraled out from there. Um, you know, so it got lost in the shuffle. Yes. So it's kind of like a, I said on Timcast I actually talked about, it's like, I think it's just, it's the, the idea is you got to keep your eye on the ball. And it's like, that's almost yeah. like if this was a fed trick or if it wasn't, it was almost like they perfectly, like if you ever watch like soccer and see someone do like some crazy like trick where they try to fake Head you fake. out. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like, <laughs> if you had just looked at the ball, you would have been fine. Like the ball, the ball being, what is the actual pertinent information that we really need to focus on here? But well, then, then you got this other, like other flare going on over here. <laughs> like, well, that's the whole thing about Elon Musk, right? Like, look, if, if he was, so he takes over Twitter and if, if one of the initiatives that he's doing, and he's actually doing this is, is taking down those accounts that had CP and that were promoting child trafficking. That's a good thing. I think every, every, uh, every good person, sane, rational person can agree with that. Um, now, if he takes over Twitter and he, he has, something else in mind which i mean obviously he's not uh it's not just a benevolent thing for him he has an agenda he has uh he has his aims and his goals and what he wants to do with it um nobody receives more government money and uh, funding than elon musk the starlink stuff is uh pretty pretty nefarious overall um the ai initiatives that he wants to do i think are very uh dystopic and frightening um so i don't necessarily trust him but that's not to say that what he's done with Twitter, there's some good to come out of it. I mean, Ryan Dawson got his account back, reads back on there. Um, Twitter's been noticeably more based from what I understand. I mean, I, I look at it, I'm not on there, but I obviously stuff comes up. That's like, you know, Twitter from Twitter. Uh, so it looks like more people are able to uh, speak their minds and say stuff that you couldn't say two years ago on there. So I think that's a good thing. So you got to point out the positives, but is there fuckery going on and going to be going on? Of course. Yeah, especially with the uh, with with the deep fakes and stuff like that coming out, I do think people need to really, really have their guard up and try to be rational, because uh, that's why I think that's why this particular one, I think a lot of people lost their rationality because they had that one bit of something. They're like, oh, this is legit. And then so then that in their head justified the spiral that they went down on after. So it's yeah. just like. Which, yeah, I mean, I, I don't get me wrong. I, I think if she had any part in those accounts and, you know, and I also think it was really gross that she on Twitter was threatening legal action for people sharing a public video that was mm-hmm. still up other other places. I mean, yeah, that's strange. I mean, the, the, the claim is kind of that she was trafficked at that time. So I guess in a certain sense, that wasn't consensual. And I, okay, there's an interesting theory argument to be had there. But at the very least, you I don't think there's any culpability for people sharing it that aren't aware of that aspect. And they thought it was completely just a consensual video that she was sharing around. If anything, her grievance is the person with the original video at that point. So like, yes, that was fucked up. But you know, okay like but all the other craziness like what the fuck is going on here it just it just got wild 
But uh, I, I'm not trying to make this a drama stream at all. That's why I kept making the point that I'm focused on the other aspects of the the, the using the proper logic. Yeah, the the, the larger know, picture, the implications, what fracturing of yeah. I mean, yeah, like you're saying, man, like um, alt media being fractured, right? Yeah. And and going at each other's throats and getting the, these people canceled and banned and taken off and um, yeah, it's an effective tactic, definitely an effective tactic and um. It, it, yeah, you take your eye off the ball and you get co- you get caught in the weeds. You know, yeah. you can see how that happens very easily. Yeah. Which is a common thing in our conspiracy things. There's a lot of kooks out there, and I yeah. have love. I have I have love for some of the kooks, but at the same time, it's like you also like uh, it does. There definitely is some effect where it can detract from the actual important story if you're you're putting out kookery out there. I mean, yeah. it's one of those things. Like, it, I mean, I don't know. People don't always mean to, but I, I think you should try your best to sort of be rational and at least make some sort of I don't know, you know, effort to not put out bunk information if you can. Uh, I mean, you know, I know people hey, have fun with it, but <laughs> I've made mistakes, man. We've all made mistakes yeah. or we believe something that we later found out wasn't true. And I mean, that's called part of being a human being. And, and I always try to acknowledge that and um, correct myself um, because I want to always put out and promote the best information. And, you know, like tonight, we're just having a loose chat. We can maybe speculate a little bit on some things, but I really I try not to speculate a lot of the time when talking about this stuff and one of the big memes and stories, you know, even since Trump was in there in 2017, he was going to be the president to release all the files. And there's so much hype about that. Like, Oh, is there going to be a smoking gun? There's people saying, no, there's not going to be a smoking gun, but what people need to understand about the, the release of the files and there's still tons of files that haven't been released, by the way, we're talking whole entire sections completely blacked out um, specifically about, uh, you know, CIA agents like James Angleton, um, Oh, Angleton, that's the agent I was thinking about who was funding that group down there, um, the, uh, the student group that released all that information about Oswald. That was directly being funded by Angleton, um, who's, you know, a legendary CIA officer who was convinced there was a Russian mole and he was hunting the mole and um, he went by the nickname Mother. I mean, he was legendary. There's a whole part about him completely redacted. There's a whole part about uh, William Harvey. Um, who had open hatred and, and disdain for, for JFK and RFK. And his widow was interviewed by a JFK researcher. And she was like, yeah, yeah, he hated them. And, and she, she said all kinds of really inflammatory stuff. All of his stuff is all redacted. Um, Oswald's tax records. I mean, if, if it was just Oswald and he was the only one that acted, why is why should there be anything redacted? There's no CIA agents around today, as far as I know, that were active duty in 1963 that are going to be compromised. Or, I mean, they say, oh, methods. We can't release it because of methods or whatever. Or, or it might endanger an ally. Which right? It's all bullshit, man. It's methods. all about, you'll catch on to the next one. <laughs> yeah, it's all about them not embarrassing themselves. And and uh, but my 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 bigger point is that no, I don't think there's going to be a smoking gun. But there's pieces that are released. Um, you know, after the film JFK came out there, Congress passed a law, um, the JFK, you know, records law in 92, when H.W. Bush was president. And um, it said by the year 2017, we will release all the files. 2017 yeah. comes, Trump's in there, he tweets at long last, we're going to release all the files. I'm so excited because the king loves a good conspiracy. I mean, he's, you know, talked about Ted Cruz's father being involved with Oswald. And there's, a, there's interesting stuff about Ted Cruz's father to suggest that he may have been some kind of spook. <laughs> he took some weird trips to Canada, which is where Ted Cruz was born. That's a whole nother angle of it. Um, but 
over time, there's little bits that get released, or there's another passage from a document that was previously blacked out that once it gets released, it, it puts into better context what yeah. what we already saw. So, yeah. like, for example, one really big piece of that um, was the fact that since um, the mayor of Dallas, Earl Cabell, uh, his brother was the deputy director of the CIA, Charles Cabell, and Earl had been a CIA asset since 1956. And at the time of the assassination, he was the freaking mayor of Dallas. So that was a huge thing that nobody knew about for years. And that got released. And that thread has sent researchers into, into a whole bunch of other stuff. So um, one researcher who's done really great work on this is Jefferson Morley. Uh, he used to be a writer for the Washington Post. John Newman has done invaluable, like, invaluable work. Um, he has a book called uh, Oswald and the CIA that came out in like the 90s and it goes into all that stuff. So it's a lot of, it's labor intensive and there's a lot of in, small information that might not, it's like a piece of a puzzle. It might yeah. seem insignificant at the time, but when it's, when it's brought in onto the table and the dots are connected, it shows a larger picture. So that's why the, I think the documents are important and there's a clear reason why they, they are still withholding so many of them. Yeah. It's the same thing. Like uh, a lot of these documents got released for the OKC stuff from Jesse Trinity from his tireless fight against them. And it is like, I'd say, I'd say it's probably fair to say there are no smoking guns in OKC. And, but what I mean by that is like no smoking guns into what you can tell exactly what happened or, or who yeah. exactly is responsible, but you get enough documents, enough information comes out and you paint a picture uh, if anyone who actually, you know, honestly goes down this rabbit hole and looks at it, you can kind of reasonably be like, I think I have a good idea what happened here. And yeah, you may never be something that like technically upholds in court and somebody you can yeah. get, but there is stuff like John Doe 2, Terrence Yeeke, where it's like, yeah, okay. I mean, don't get me wrong. There's a, I, there's definitely a smoking gun in my head for Terrence Yeeke didn't kill himself. But now what do you, what does that then, what can you extrapolate from that? Who knows? Right. Why was yeah. he killed? Like, so he, yeah. he was, he was literally the first responder to respond and saved several people but has a totally different he witnessed something totally counter to the official story right and he yep. was going to talk about it or he was talking about it or what was the he he said something to his ex-wife about that, that it's not what they're telling you uh, telling uh, you i believe that was almost exactly exact quote might i might have got that right and you know other stuff he never you know said explicitly because i think he was trying to protect his his ex-wife you know the mother of his children uh, he also something alluded said something very similar in a letter to a friend, and I, there might have been other sources. Uh, but you know, he definitely was. Uh, you know, he also was getting in fights at work. You know, them about specific stuff. Uh, you know, I highly check people if they. You know, if you just want to find out about Yiki, check out part seven of my series. that's in that. There's also, if you look in the video description, there's a great article, probably the best article there is on that, uh, where you can check that out. But uh, revisit that. Yeah, I, that yeah. definitely look at that again. Yeah. yeah, the article has a lot in it, and it's it's all well sourced, really good stuff. But yeah, no, I, I do think there is something too that like when these things start adding up, and it, it is a bummer that you may never get that smoking gun to where you're like, oh yep, McVeigh totally was an asset, and the federal government needs to be held to account for this, and you know they need to put this guy in jail. You may never see that, but at the very least you can get an idea to where you're like. This is what happened, or, or a yeah. good idea of what happened, and I think that's important. But uh, I, think I think it's the same with what? the Kennedy assassination, man. It really yep. is. If you re if you really any any aspect of it, man, you start to really just look at it and peel the layers, the, the whole story collapses. The whole official story just collapses under its own ridiculous weight. Well, all right, Mike. This has been a fun fun time. 
Uh, I think we're going to go ahead and wrap it up here. If you want to go ahead and drop your plugs, let us know what you're doing and what big interviews you got coming up, uh, anything like that. Let me know where they can find you. Yeah, thanks, Jose. It's been a blast, mm-hmm. man. I appreciate you having me on, and we'll have to do it again soon. Um, yeah, you can follow us at Jackman Radio. Um, we're on uh, patreon.com slash Jackman Radio. We're on YouTube. We're still on there. Uh, we've had a couple of videos taken down, but, you know, we haven't been – taken down knock on wood uh, but yeah we're on all the major podcasters like jose uh you know we're on pa- we're on um uh, patreon uh spotify itunes um i think apple and uh tomorrow we are releasing a interview with uh irish singing sensation gilbert o'sullivan uh he's one of my favorite uh singers from the 70s Folks, you may know him from the song alone again naturally which is his most famous song uh he was nominated for a uh, Grammy uh, in the early seventies for that song. It's been featured in a bunch of films and TV shows. So that will be dropping tomorrow night. Um, check, look for it on our social media and on our YouTube at eight o'clock, which is the 17th. So by the time this comes out, it will have already come out. So mm-hmm. you can see that. And I'm also working on having Nick Bryant, a uh, researcher and author and journalist that I respect very deeply, who has done some of the best work on um, the DC madam, as well as the Franklin scandal. And we're hoping to have him on in the coming weeks. So uh, keep an eye out for that. Hell yeah. I'll definitely have to check that one out. Uh, you told me about the Franklin scandal in the beginning. It was interesting. Um, yeah, we'll keep uh, dive that sometime, Jose. It's dark. Yeah, it's real. For sure. That's the real pizza gate. That's the real uh, Pizzagate. Eddie Grimm said, can't tell fat or woman. I'm assuming you're re- re- uh, referring to Eliza Blue. I read part two and part three. Uh, he read part one. I mean, my gut feeling from what I read, uh, you know, kind of going to her life, I think she's just a woman. I mean, may- maybe she's a fed. I don't know. If she's a fed, she got her story together fairly well, at least in the article. So I don't know. My gut feeling is a woman. If there is any sort of fed involvement or, or even if an op that's not fed related, just someone just trying to wreak havoc, whatever, I think it was likely someone just latched onto the situation, saw a golden opportunity. That'd be my opinion. I don't know. That's just my guess. If I'm going to you know, speculate here, she could be a fed. Who knows? <laughs> but uh, with that, uh, this is a No Way Jose show. Find me on YouTube, all major odd pockets, Odyssey as well. Uh, follow me on Twitter at Tower Gang. Uh, no. Uh, Tower Gang Jose. Uh, I fucking had a brain fart there. Uh, yeah, if you want to support me, patreon.com, Snowy Jose 2020. Make sure to like, share, subscribe, all that good stuff. With that, we are out. Thank you for your time, Mike. This is fun. Thank you. Ooh, you're out.